Hey everyone and welcome back to The Deep Dish, a space where voices will be amplified, respected, listened to, and where the only requirement is that your belief and actions do not hinder the progression of the disenfranchised. It is my hope that my conversations with these incredible guests will be the sweetest treat in your day. Let's get to it. Today, I have one of my cousins. Her name is Rachel. I have her as my guest today. I was trying to figure out all day how I was going to describe Rachel to everybody. Um, And literally, the only thing I could come up with is that she was me before it was me Um, (laughs) is the best way that I can describe Rachel. Um, My mom talks about how basically Rachel was her baby, would have Rachel all the time up in our home. And then, then later on came me, but she is the first girl cousin in on my mom's line. So she kind of started everything off for us. So I want you guys to give a warm welcome to my cousin, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Hey, (laughs) how are you? Good, good. You know, long day, but happy to be here. Yeah, I could, I totally understand. Um, so welcome to the deep dish. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show, um, the podcast. And so the way that I started off is I'm going to put you on the spot and I like to ask people, what was your favorite childhood dessert? Ooh, not much has changed. It's still kind of my favorite. <laughs> uh, warm chocolate chip cookies with a cold glass of milk. Oh, okay. Okay. And tell me, what does that, what memory does that bring up? Like, is there a special memory that you can think of that that drums up? Um, a few things like, you know, we, as a family, you know, we, we, we congregate around food, you know what I mean? And there's the, there's the conventional Thanksgiving um, meals that I think about, you know, cause I'm oftentimes I'm eating, Ooh, and the stuffed cream puffs, those, those were good too. But I also think about like, my brother has that love of chocolate chip cookies. And, um, you know, for, for a while it was me and him, you know, so like I think of Saturday mornings, <laughs> chocolate chip cookies with milk, <laughs> Saturday cartoons at Ma's house, um, in Auntie Daisy's room sometimes, <laughs> sometimes in the living room, you know, um, but those, those kinds of memories. Yeah. And and I think like the one thing that I love about food is that it, it does bring up some really great memories. Um, and so one of the reasons why I asked you to come on to the, my podcast is because I've always been inspired by your perseverance in life, I think is the best way that I can put it. That's that without um, and I'm a gasser up, don't worry, but without, without being too premature in that. And um, I want people to get into um, really why Rachel is currently a doc in a doctoral program. Okay. She's the first in our family who's going to have doctor by her name. Praise God. We're happy about it. But, you know, and I think your your journey is interesting because you're in education. From what I can recall, not always having the greatest relationship with education. Um, but I just wanted to know what what was that? What was childhood student Rachel like? Shy, timid, um, muted in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't want to get in trouble, <laughs> um, and so I I didn't cause problems, but I also didn't excel. So I just kind of got by. Um, the teachers would, um, 
write on my report card, Rachel is bright and has a lot of potential, but does not live up to her capabilities. And, you know, I remember thinking as a kid, you think I'm smart? As an educator, I think about how asinine that is. Like when you think about education, the role of a teacher is to help you to actualize your potential. That's a learned skill. So, you know, I wasn't aware that I had all of the raw materials to be successful. (laughs) I thought there was something wrong with me. And I carried that narrative well into college, you know, that I was responsible for whatever academic deficit I had. And when in reality, I just never learned how to be scholarly. I didn't. That's a that's a learned skill. Right. Right. And I and what I think is interesting. So when did you find that passion for education? Because the way that people would think is that, oh, she, why would she go to, into education? You know, basically people would be like, there's trauma associated with this educational background. You know, I don't see it as passion. You know, like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's something that I'm passionate about more than I'm passionate about my story not happening to other children. You know, so like, I, I was, it's so funny, um, we're talking about this just yesterday in class and how, you know, um, I'm taking a, a childhood curriculum course right now, which is you know, pretty interesting. <laughs> um, and they were talking about like, when did school not become fun? And I was like, it was never fun. <laughs> what are you like? <laughs> school was never, school was never fun for me, you know? And so like, as I unpacked that more, what I realized is I love learning, not like, however, the institution of education. I didn't, I never liked school. Never. I can't think of a time where I'm like, ooh, class, you know, like I can't, even through college. And and so for me, I think the I had one class in high school that I loved and it was chemistry. So I, I just thought I could be a scientist and went to school for that. Came very... Uh, that came to a very quick stop, you know, because I found out, no, girl, he was good at that class, not <laughs> not in the entire science curriculum, no, ma'am. But but I often wondered if I had a if I had a professor who was like, she gets it, but if I can explain it to her in a different way, she would excel in this way. The only teacher that I had that did that was my Spanish teacher, and when she pushed, I pushed back. Instead of knowing how to accept that kind of help from somebody who saw potential in me. There, there is that piece, right? Like when we look at um, like key indicators of like success for students, you know, one of those indicators are like high expectations. So that that is a part of it. I think what's often missed is the self-efficacy development piece, the identity development piece, which you know, if those if those two things were developed, then the high expectations is a non-conversation starter. I'm confident, of course, <laughs> I want to I want to exceed the expectation, not meet it. What we're focused on are the like the technical things of academic achievement. And that has absolutely, 
you know, I don't want to say it doesn't have anything to do with it, but if we were talking about it in terms of like a pie, it's probably like 15%. (laughs) Oh, and there's like a whole 85% out there that is rooted in like identity development and self-efficacy that I feel like school systems in general are missing the mark on, you know, and if we just flipped it. Yeah. So, so with all this knowledge and experience that you've had, tell me, how is how is Rachel the teacher different from Rachel the student? I don't know that there is much difference. You know, because um, one of my goals as a teacher is to demystify what being a teacher actually is. Oh, let's go into that. Let's what 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 goes into demystifying, Rachel? I let my students know day one they can do exactly what I've what what I'm doing, and my hope is that they do more because they are learning younger than I did what they're capable of. You know, so that cancel culture right there. Please don't edify me. I'm just a kid from Cambridge. (laughs) You know, that's why I tell everybody, you know, that learns how to do some extraordinary things, you know. And so once I level that playing field, now you can be anything you want, even or including a professor. So not even, right, because I feel like that's part for the course, but including a professor, you know, and so and I think the other part about it in terms of like why there's no difference for me, the you know, I feel like I am still in it, you know, like there is no I don't think that you arrive anywhere until you die. I am in a constant state of progression, you know what I mean? And so like. At one point, it was recognizing, oh, my goodness, I have what it takes. (laughs) And it was the, oh, my goodness, well, what is it exactly? I use this analogy all the time, like, you know, uh, I feel like a superhero trying to figure out what my superpowers are. And that's that's rough because, right, you know, you're a superpower, you know, you're a superhero, you know, you can save some things, but it's like... How, what can, how can I actually go about saving it? What do I use? Like, can I fly? Is it, you know, am I someone that, you know, can control people's minds? Like, you know, is it invisibility? Like what, what is it? And what happens when it's more than one thing? What what happens when it's more than, than, than a few things, you know? Um, And so, I, I feel very much like that as a student too. And I think on the flip side of that pendulum is with this power comes fear, you know, like, you know, and so I'm always in those two spaces, whether it is a teacher that's hit a new level of success and, uh, you know, I see it, but, you know, the, the motivated person in me can't and won't get comfortable with that. And I want to go to another level. There's the fear that comes with it. I'm excited about it, but oh my gosh, I've never done this before and I haven't seen it. So what does this look like? You know? And then there's the student, like as excited as I am about becoming a doctor, Lissy, every semester (laughs) I go through this. I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Here's the truth of it. I'm done. Uh, I'll be done with my classes in the spring and I'm I'm holding down a 4.0, right? But the reality is, I still question, am I going to make it? Because the, the there's a part of me that hasn't seen that. I mean, like, I have not seen what I'm trying to accomplish. With that comes fear. You know, I push through it, but I, I 
you know, in both of those spaces, like there, there isn't much difference, you know, and, um, and I think that keeps me humble and also relatable to students who are, you know, first gens, you know, trying to, trying to trudge through, but they've never seen it, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I even, I mean, you saying all that reminds me there's, um, cause even with starting this podcast, the one thing that I wrote in the description is I'm really just stepping out on faith and to see where God lands my feet, not where I land my feet, because, you know, me taking the jump, me taking the plunge, that doesn't mean I know where I'm going to end up or where this is going to end up, but just having faith that I'll end up somewhere. Um, you know, I think has really been the song of of everything, of watching you through undergrad and then going for your master's. And then, you know, at every point, it's like, Rachel's going for, but Rachel didn't like school. <laughs> Rachel did not, <laughs> Rachel does not like school. Oh, and I meant to make this disclaimer really early. So Rachel's going to call me Nick, a nickname and you heard it earlier, but that is designated for family. Okay. <laughs> if you have not <laughs> been approved to call me that, my name is Alyssa to you. Okay. Disclaimer over. <laughs> but I really do think about, like you said, a vision of what I want to be, but I know that there's more to what I want to do. And um, doing that is going to take studying. Like I want to learn uh, all I need to do and equip myself the best way that I can. But there's still this apprehension of that I don't deserve to be in that space because I didn't do well in my undergraduate degree. So even right now, I'm stuck on my essay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's so funny. Now I'm going to be so about calling you Lucy on the podcast. (laughs) You can can call me Lucy. I just want it. I don't want anybody else. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So, So here's the thing. You are an expert in your niche. And so do not look at going to school like you're going to learn something more than you've got something to bring to the table. You know, and, and I wish like, you know, I, I, I just feel like my orientation to education was all wrong. You know what I mean? And so it really kept me in this place for a very long time of giving, you know, the institution the administrators, the the professors, this power that they never really had, but it was really because I didn't understand my own power. Like our our life experiences, you know, combined with our unique skill sets and then our our intrinsic gifts, God-given gifts and talents make us experts in 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 our niche, you know? And there's no school that is going to you know, teach you how to do you. You know what I mean? You're just using school as a vehicle to test out what you want to show the world. Yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, I don't think I've ever heard of school as, you know, it's, um, it's, you said a vehicle, but the way that people talk about school, it's the vehicle. Do you know what I mean? Not that there is, there's one way to get where you need to go, but there, but school is a tool, one way to get there. Right. It, it's it's not the only way, you know. Again, we we were socialized to believe that, you know what I mean. And I think what is, you know, being behind the curtain, what's happening now is you have institutions having to justify their costs because people are now asking the question, 
well, what is the value of this? What are you, you know, something that we should have been thinking about all along, right? Like to understand that students are the investors, students are the stakeholders, you know, we've been socialized to believe it's the other way around, but, you know, I sit on, um, I sit on a, a board uh, at Northeastern or a committee. <laughs> A committee at Northeastern is a diversity committee, um, fancy title and all of that. But and I love it. I love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> she loves y'all. And you know, um, and the cool part about it is I am one of five students on that on that committee. It's mostly made up of like faculty and staff. One of the things that I said to them is that, you know, we were kind of going over like, you know, stakeholders, and I'm noticing all of these different entities are being named as stakeholders, but students are not. Think about what the function of universities are. It is to educate students, <laughs> right? Otherwise, it'd be a different business. It, so why it could be a construction store. Right? <laughs> the product is the, is the curriculum <laughs> for the students then would be the customers, you know? And just like a restaurant, there's a menu and you and you choose what you want to eat. Students are not being oriented in that way to understand, you know, their their the value of their currency or or even their their power. They're not, you know, and so when you're thinking about your grad program, don't think about it, you know, in the conventional way that we were socialized to think about it, think about it like, yo, you're an, you're an investor. And why, why should you invest in this particular entity? How are they going to equip you with the best tools possible to test pilot your niche that you're going to bring to the world? Yeah. Cause I mean, even when you're, when you're saying we're so conditioned from that so early and I'm thinking about when's the last time that I thought that I had control in some way of my education and I don't think it was until I was an adult you know that I felt as if I could even ask a question um, or maybe I'll take that back high school and it was in one particular class that I had a, a really great relationship with a teacher it's the one and only time because I think every Every other time I was told what I was going to know, I was, I was, the value wasn't about me. It was about what the teacher could get us to regurgitate. <sighs> this is where the, for me, the rub is, you know, so like oftentimes it's confused for passion, but it's really not, <laughs> you know, I'm in because I need to be in it, you know, like, because I, you know, I am a recipient of messed up education, but we should be developing curriculum with students, not for students. You know, like that that's like me, Lizzie, being a seamstress and I'm making an outfit for you without taking your measurements, <laughs> without figuring out what your favorite colors are, without asking you anything about what style of dress you like, <laughs> you know, and I just made it from from inception to, to, to actual co to construction. I didn't ask you anything about it. And now I say to you, you have to wear it. But that that's essentially what we do with children in education. I mean, I just think, because um, when, when I think about 
education in you. I would love to see you in a class setting, by the way, because I think um, that'd be fun. <laughs> I just want to be a fly in the wall in one of your classes. Um, but how do you make education fun? I make it relevant. You know, like, I don't know if relevant is fun, but I make it relevant. You know what I mean? Like, I, I am very fortunate that I get to leverage my students' experiences to lift the class. Maybe some other professors don't or may not have thought to do. But for me, I think that is so important, you know, and I I prioritize that. Well, I think it makes it applicable, which I think in a lot of ways, thinking back to geometry, I can't do any geometry without looking how to Google it first. But but ask, ask yourself this. Do you use geometry in your everyday life? No. That's the point. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I I did this um, survey. I asked middle school students if they felt like what they were learning was helping them to become who they need to be. And then I used the same survey and I asked high school graduate, recent high school graduates, if high school prepared you for who you are. And they said no. There is a huge disconnect between what children are learning and what they should learn or or what they need to learn to prepare to be who they need to become. Because when I when I look at and I I meant to pull it up where we are the US in our education as far as the world. We're like 25 I think or something like that or 12. It's not it's not top 10. It's I don't even think it's top 20. But I don't think we're pretty high. But I wonder what um other countries are doing that causes their students to excel. And so I just wonder if it's because you know everything over here if you can do something exceptional it's almost put to, you know like that you're this exceptional student and that um it causes other students to then second guess themselves instead of thinking like you said um i can do those things but you have to tailor it for me yeah i never really thought about why <laughs> are in the in the state that we're in given the fact that like when you compare us to some other countries you know our taxes in, in as it relates to public schools pay for for education and so essentially children go to public schools for free right so there's that but then you think about countries that are outperforming us where they have to pay for their kids to go to school, you know? And so um, we shouldn't be, but I would argue that politics has a lot to do with it. And I would say that, you know, I think that there are people who benefit from us not being a high performing com- country, you know, and that's just the truth. Like if you think about the origins of our American education, you know, and the timing of it, we, us melanin folks, we weren't intended to benefit from that. It was meant for to sustain the status quo. It wasn't meant to change the status quo. And if we're being honest and we look at what the correct, like the foundation of the curriculum looked like way back then when it was designed to sustain the status quo, it's not much different from now where when you were in school, you're learning how to balance a checkbook. Well, why weren't they teaching finances? Because they didn't have to. 
those children understood wealth principles. So they didn't need to learn about finances in the class to learn about how to balance the checkbook because they already had the money. <laughs> right. And so, you know, when you when you look at those, when you put it in context, you know, so my my colleague, um, she and I were going back and forth and we, I, I love her, Alyssa Kopp. Um, we were talking and she said the system, the educational system is broken. And I said, no, Alyssa, it's working perfectly. It was it was designed to sustain the status quo. It was never meant to change it. You know, and so when you when you put it in that context and then you think about it in terms of like world standing, then it makes absolute sense. Because one thing that I was thinking about is um, when it was time for me to apply for colleges, how I really didn't have an advocate in my school to talk to me about what all my options were. Um, Instead, I had a counselor who spent a better part of his time telling me where I couldn't go, you know. Um, But I think I think of a couple of things is that, you know, because I didn't perform at my best. How come no one caught that (laughs) earlier? Right. How come it wasn't something that was a part of, well, how do we get you a better education or how do we help you? How do we help you succeed and excel? Or why did why was this conversation only had when I was a senior? or junior getting ready to apply. But I knew early on that the conversations that I was having with my counselors or my counselor um, was very different from the conversations my white counterparts were having with that, with the very same counselor seemed more invested in, you know, that those children's future than mine. Because my counselor was like, just apply to community college. I was told the same thing. I'm stubborn though. (laughs) Super stubborn. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> Super stubborn, you know. Of, you know, I was like, well, let me. <laughs> Shoot, it won't be in Maine. Tell you that, you know. And I and I went to North Carolina. I went to Bennett College, but you know, it did. It took me a long time to graduate from college. Every time I think about that time, I think of I, I used to work at a hospital, and I had a, a patient at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm still trying. I'm still trying to get to, you know, get my degree. But, you know, I know I'm taking a long time. He told me he was a professor, um, you know, so I'm like airing all my grievances and, you know, just telling him, don't, you know, have faith in me. I still I'm still doing it. He said, Alyssa, there's no such thing as a four year path anymore. It's probably looking about 10, 12 years. So you're right on track. And when I said I sobbed after he left my office because I'd never heard that before. And by that time, I was like 22 and thinking I was a complete failure because I had not graduated in the four years that everybody else had graduated. But then when I started looking around, a lot of my classmates from high school took them longer to graduate, you know, because we had to work jobs. And so I just I I think about the the stresses, the added stresses that are put on students, right? From high school, from high school into college. Where, where, where do you think that comes from? Did you have any of those stressors? Was that, was that something that you experienced? Of course. (laughs) Of course. If I'm being honest, I think we all had our struggles with college. (laughs) You know, um, I just think that some people did a better job at hiding it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I 
I definitely think that I, you know, especially for, 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 for me and say like my colleagues where a bunch of us were first gens, we didn't know what we was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, what you put down for FAFSA? <laughs> thank right. God. Thank God. You know, the seven years is coming gone. Cause Lord, I don't know. <laughs> but like, we didn't know, you know what I mean? Like these things, let's see, are skills. And the sad part is for every class that they have, it is not until you make it to college, then you take a skills-based class. How asinine is that? Think about like attrition rates. They even call it summer melt. So like when a student graduates their senior year of high school and they're, uh, before they get to uh, college, their fall freshman year, there's something called a summer melt where it's attrition. They don't even make it to campus, okay? So you get past the four years in high school, you get through the application process, test scores and all that, essay writings, then summer comes and you, you know, and you melt out, you know, show up on campus. You don't get the opportunity to take a skills-based course, right? Like, that's crazy. So so you, you complete most of your years without formally having to take a class that teaches you the skills to learn. Yeah. Because I think, I think that's the part of college that was really daunting to me. It was self-study, but in high school, it wasn't, we wasn't taught to self-study in middle school. I wasn't taught to self-study. And so now all of a sudden I'm put in charge of my education and how I thrive and now I have absolutely no idea how to friggin' do that. Right. You want me to do homework when my whole academic career, I got by without having to do it? You know, like, I, I thought for a long time, Lucy, that homework was extracurricular. I thought it was an opportunity to practice and it was optional. Well, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who wants to do Right. I, I wanted to sit up here and watch Ricky Lake and Sally, Jeffsy, Raphael. I don't want to sit up here and do any. Oh, you're you aging know, yourself. I know it. I know it. But it is what it is. It you is know? what it is. Our grandma. I don't have my age. Home. You really don't. <laughs> you know. Um. But yeah. No. Like I. I. Yeah. Definitely. I. I think the the only time that I I can remember or recall actually really doing homework, I had one high school teacher. Her name is Miss Pendleton, and probably one of the hardest teachers I've ever had in my life. And um. And she she did not accept from anybody subpar. You needed to know that you needed to know the information. So if you had if you know you had to take her class, you knew that for that class we read it. But for every other class, I don't know if I actually read the information. And I think that that messes with how you retain, because I'm 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 thinking of. I retain more if if I enjoy a class, like, you know, um, I took a, in college, I took a philosophy of religions class and loved it. That's how I knew that I was in the right major, um, that I just really enjoyed this class. And I retained so much of the information because I actually wanted to read. I actually wanted to learn more. I actually wanted to be able to engage with my professor in a way that made um, the conversation, that added to the conversation or added different perspective. And um, thinking about that, that also did not help my self-esteem as it pertained to education. I think it played a lot into feeling unworthy of it all. 
Yeah, th this is why it's so important for these systems to be dismantled. You know, um, I was I was talking to my my chair, the, my dissertation chair, and we were talking about the language that I want to use in my dissertation. And I said I want to be plain English. I don't want to sit up here and write a paper just so people can read it and say, wow, she's smart. I don't care nothing about that. I'm not here to justify my level of intelligence to anyone. I want someone to take my research and do something with it. <laughs> you know, oftentimes, like, you know, people want to have this, you know, superficial language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it happens now, like, we're reading some challenging material now. And I'm like, so what was the person's point? Nobody thinks like this. Just so that you can demonstrate your intelligence, what it says to me more than anything is that you have low self-esteem. Because if you have to identify who you are by your work, that for me, that's a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. You, you know, like, you know, yes, I'm excited and over the moon about becoming a doctor. However, at the end of the day, I'm Rachel. Mm -hmm. I got the, I am attaining this doctorate just so I can have a seat at the table. It it didn't turn me into someone else. I already knew what I know. It's just sad that as a woman of color, people don't respect it. At all. So that's why I got the doctorate. Because now you got to respect it and you got to listen. And do something about it. Right, right. <laughs> okay? You know, but there are people, you know, that do it because they feel like somehow that's going to make them feel better about themselves. And then they get into this nasty thing where they identify themselves through that, you know, and when you strip that, there's nothing to them but a shell. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite quotes, Rachel, is I was born worthy. I'm not about to prove it. Yeah. Right. I'm not about to prove to you <laughs> that I deserve to be in this space, that I deserve to, you know, walk amongst you. That's not what I'm here to do. But what I do love about um, many women is while we don't want to go there, we can go there. Oh, we will. Right. If you need the 16 syllable words, if that's what you need, if you need the highly educated person, we will all go there. It's within us. We grew up cold switching. That is something that we're used to. But the fact that we don't feel as if we have to, I think that that's an even greater thing. One of the things that I've been saying, people, I make all of my guests take a, qu a questionnaire. A lot of people tell me it's a really hard questionnaire. Again, I did not think it was difficult. I literally... <laughs> and I, I think it's difficult because people don't like to talk about themselves. But in my questionnaire, yeah. I force people to have to talk about themselves. It's it's probably more uncomfortable than it is difficult. I'll say that. Probably uncomfortable. Um, but um I asked one of the questions I asked you is what you're passionate about. And you said making uh, the education world a better place. So in your ideal education world. What would that look like? We have students as teachers. Hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, when you think about, when you think about the mind, right? The formative years are like zero through seven. <laughs> Maybe eight. <laughs> You're lucky. And after that, you know, that child is pretty much who they're going to become. You know what I mean? Like you can tweak things, you know, but at their core, it's kind of like them. You know, and so why are we not 
investing in that, you know, and then using using children as stakeholders to teach us how to teach them. You know, because like case in point, this generation right now, when I talk about generation, I'm talking about Asher's age. So like eight, the eight-ish generation. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. They, but let this sink in. 80% of the jobs that they're going to have do not exist. Wow. 80%. If 80% of the jobs that they have that they will have do not exist, Lissy, what the hell are we teaching them? Just stuff, uh, irrelevant stuff. The technology that they're using right now, wait, this will mess you up. It's the oldest piece of technology they'll ever use in their life. So true. So true. And so why do we not, we call it um, culturally relevant pedagogy. You know, oftentimes it's talked about in terms of like, you know, like racial background or something like that, incorporating that into the curriculum or just um, students' experiences and making it, making the curriculum relevant to their experiences and lifting the work. Why don't we do that? Mm. And here's a thought. Why don't we develop the self-efficacy by giving them opportunities to demonstrate that they that they can teach us something. That sounds so sweet. I just want you to know. Like I'm I'm thinking of 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 just how comforting that that even sounds. That someone could because everyone has something that has something to teach, right? Cynthia Erivo, one of my favorite singers, in a in an interview to, that I that I saw her in, she says that she makes it her business to be the um, least smartest person in a room, and the reason why she does that is because she if she if she's the smartest person in the room, then she's no longer learning. So she allows herself to be the person that doesn't know everything in the room. Because then she's always in a constant state of learning. And to imagine our kids always being in a constant state of learning. And then also teachers being in a constant state of learning. Because then that would give room to for teachers to even be inspired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that it's the inspiration that drives the learning. We have a ton of uninspired teachers teaching our children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, yeah. You know, what are you teaching my kid how to do? Be mad? Like I don't, you know, <laughs> and so that's what that's what it would be. You know, that's what my ideal would be. And, and why does it have why why is it ideal? Why can't that it just be? Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're definitely a country of people who for some reason have to see it done first before it can ever be actualized, right? That's why there's no universal health care. That's why there's no universal standard of education. We, we, cherry, we cherry pick and choose what we use that standard for because in essence, nothing existed before it existed. Right. <laughs> like we, we choose that, you know? Um, and it's interesting that you know, education, you know, that industry always takes the grunt. I feel like it is the, it is the jan of the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like education is the jan. 
you know, tech is Marsha. And then you have like, you know, STEM outside of tech, right? Yeah. That's like Cindy, <laughs> right? Like, like your healthcare, your, you know, that stuff, that's Cindy. But, but Jan, Jan is education. Jan is, you know, education is what, what other people don't want. Let's just put it there. Like, if you think about education, there's so many other intersections, not necessarily because they should be, but they, no one, they didn't want to put it anywhere else. Like, if you think about, like, the intersection of education and social services, how did that come to be? You know, and, and for us, it makes sense now, but that's because we're socialized to think that child, the Department of Children and Family Services should intersect with education, right? right. Because we're socialized to think that way. Right. But imagine a world where that didn't exist. Industry, would you put it in? Could you put it? Could you put it with Marsh? Could you put it with Cindy? Why did Jan have to take it? You know, but it, it's not regarded and respected, you know, amongst other industries, which is why when you think about like education, how many people have you met saying, saying, you know, I want to go into education? What they think about is they're not going to make a ton of money. Okay. And what they think about is I don't really want to work with kids. Right. It's when they, and I think most times when people, when people tell me they want to work in education, I think most times, unless they specifically say they want to work with children, I think that they're thinking of like in college. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think largely that thinking is because they understand the educational system as it is now where children are not stakeholders. But if we put that and children are stakeholders and we taught them early how to be teachers and think about the skills that come with that communication. Oh my goodness. Yep. I'm thinking of like, even because I work in human resources and I think of it in a leadership um, setting because, you know, I, I won't get into much of what I would love my dissertation to be, but I think of how right now in our society, there's such a lack of emotional intelligence. And I think that if someone has to teach right? If you have to be up in front of a whole bunch of people, you have to be able to deliver a message and material that will be able to transcend and and be able to pierce every person sitting there. And then you also are humbled, right? And because then you understand the amount of work it takes to prepare, you know, for this lesson, which then I think feeds into empathy, because then when someone else is doing it, you're like, I know that was hard, you know? And so I think that that would just increase emotional um, intelligence, which I think would also bring about better leaders because there's so many people that lead by the book and are so awful. And I'm like, how are you in a customer service based, you know, position? they're like, I don't work in customer service. If you have people that report to you, that is an internal customer, <laughs> And you have to learn how to be able to be empathetic to people. And when you said what it would feed into so much, it would it would literally reshape the world as we know it. Absolutely. Wow. That world sounds great, Rachel. I agree. <laughs> Rachel, if you could give a piece of advice for um, someone that's like, man, Rachel sounds just like me. <laughs> right now I'm a college or I'm a high school student or a middle school student or I'm a I'm an older person and I'm thinking about going back for my education but Rachel sounds just like me what would you say to that person 
Man, I'd say different things to those people. <laughs> Let's hit them all. Oh, man. So to the um, younger generation who I feel like they are, there's so much pressure put on them to know what they want to do. You know, I think it's okay to not know. Mm. Who you are now is not who you're going to be. So that's like asking, you know, 18-year-old Rachel to determine 40-year-old Rachel's future. I think the only thing that we still have in common are maybe the things that we like in terms of food. However, 40-year-old Rachel can't eat what 18-year-old Rachel Okay. Right. <laughs> it don't hit the same way. It don't hit the same way. <laughs> right. So like, you know, it's okay to not know. I feel like I, it was a beautiful struggle. Like, you know, the, the not knowing and, and going through these different experiences landed me where I was. And if I, if I had taken the conventional approach to having every step planned out, I think that there's so much about my identity that would not have been developed. Mm. And so, you know, I, I think that it did not know. I think an experience will lead to another, which will give you more information that will lead to an opportunity, which will lead to an experience that will give you more information, <laughs> you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's kind of how it worked for me, you know, to, to the older person, um, Who's thinking about going back to school? I think one of the things, like, you know, be sure that's what you want to do. You know, like, I think so, we, we are so socialized to believe that I'm at this crossroads. You know, maybe I need to go back to school and get it done. That may not necessarily be the answer. It might be to rebrand and pivot. And the money that you, that you would invest in another degree might be invest better invested in a brand strategist <laughs> that could help you brand yourself in the way that you want to be branded. Like going back to school is only one way. And for me, I went back because I wanted a, a higher seat at a bigger table, you know, and so I was clear that, you know, no matter how much I tried to reach it with with my master's, I wasn't going to. There are some battles that I'm just not here to fight. I don't, I'm clear about my purpose and I don't want to fight the battle of being heard. That part. (laughs) You know, just be, just be real clear on that because, you know, it is an emotional journey. Like, you know, I am currently reliving my educational childhood through my doctoral program, you know, and while yes, in the end, it's going to be so beautiful and, you know, I'm gonna cry. I'm probably not going to wear makeup on my graduation because like my magnetic lashes will fall off. You know, it is hard. Like I have had to have, you know, tremendous emotional support throughout the process because when you hear an eight-year-old child in 2021, articulating what you went through in 1988, that breaks your heart, you know? And so I chose this, right? <laughs> I chose it. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Like, you know, till the wheels fall off, like, 
till it till the till I get stoled and I'm Dr. Dovo. But it is not just a okay, I'm gonna read this book, write these papers. <laughs> it ain't that. It is an emotional investment, not just on on myself, but on my family and everyone who's connected to me. And think, yo, I got some real ride or die friends because I talk about the same thing over and over again. Because right now, that's my life. <laughs> Talking to me like they just heard it for the first time. Like, oh yeah, girl. No, cut it out. Do I need to put my scarf on and come down there? You know, kind of thing. And I'm so thankful for that. Because it takes all of that, mm-hmm. you know, for me to to feel like I can get through the day and then get up and do it all over again, you know. So just be sure that's what you want. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, like they say, like everybody is here for the glory. But that story piece, <laughs> <laughs> that story piece, it's only you and God, mm-hmm. you know. And so just 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 know that. But once you know it, like, you know. When, when God gives you the vision, he also takes care of the provision. So just make sure you're clear about that, you know, mm-hmm. and then it will, it will all line up. <sighs> Rachel, you know, I love you. Um, Rachel's like a, a, a big sister to me and um, my sister. Um, it was such a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Um, I can't thank you enough for agreeing as you guys know, I'm reaching out to people that inspire me. And Rachel is definitely one of those people um, always has. Um, I mean, <laughs> I was just like, I always wondered, I was like, why do my parents keep speaking words of encouragement? She's in college. <laughs> I, just, I don't no. understand. Because <laughs> they know I might not have made it. <laughs> Got through on a wing of prayer. You know what I mean? Shout out. I know Uncle Ken held me down. Held me down. Y'all, this conversation was everything from reimagining the education system to hoping for a better future for our children to being reminded that you belong at whatever table in whatever seat you've chosen to knowing that you are equipped to handle your calling. Rachel dropped so many gems and I'm so thankful that she decided to dish it with us today. Please be on the lookout for our collaborative blog about our experience that will be coming soon and I will put where you can connect with Rachel in the description I can't wait for our next chat have a good day bye